turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Just a brief prayer. Make the book live to me, O Lord. Show me thyself within thy word. Show me myself and show me my Saviour. And make the book live to me. Amen. Just reading together in Colossians 4, reading from verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, and at the same time pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time, and let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. May the Lord bless this reading of his word to us. Speech, what we say, our words are of tremendous importance. And we can see all through Scripture that indeed what is said carries a tremendous weight. This passage primarily deals with that one thing, speech. Firstly, the speech of prayer towards God. And secondly, the speech of ourselves towards others. And a few brief comments on the importance of speech, just to note. In Genesis 3.12, the very first sin that is recorded following the fall is actually a sin of speech, where Adam directly blames God and then blames Eve for the situation that he finds himself in. Indeed, in Romans 3 and 13 and 14, in Paul crystallizing the whole world's guilt before God and describing fallen man's condition in such a way that he says that their throats are an open grave and their tongues they deceive, the venom of vipers is under their lips and their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. The great prophet Isaiah, who we read from this morning, not being able to take part in the chorus of praise in the heavens because of his inability to worship God with clean lips. Because he actually says that, woe, I am a man of unclean lips. And he declares himself undone in the presence of God because of it. Solomon, in writing the Proverbs in Proverbs 18, says that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. First Peter, in writing, contrasting and describing what a fulfilled life looks like for a Christian, somebody who keeps his tongue from evil, somebody who keeps his lips from speaking guile. And these things are all things that are spoken of in the negative. And even that chapter of James A whole chapter nearly, James 3, is given to the conduct of the person and indeed what proceeds out of that person's mouth. And if any man offends, he says, 
not in tongue, let he is a perfect man. James goes on then to link speech with wisdom, which is exactly what the apostle does here in this passage in Colossians. Linking the speech of the believer with the wisdom of their conduct. And that is what Paul does. The positives around speech and conduct and how we see that conduct in the Christian's life, in the order of the Christian's life, in the way that we conduct ourselves, is actually the thing that should precede speech and to precede our conversation, particularly with those that are outside of the faith. So firstly, speech directed to God. Paul here is requesting prayer. He's requesting prayer and he hasn't really done so so far. And I think it's interesting to note that the tone of the, the language that he takes, you know, we, we could run the risk, whereas we get closer to the end of a letter that we sort of taper off. And we think, oh, well, Paul's going to make some you know, pleasant remarks and some last-minute last exhortations and then move on and that'll be the close of the letter. But what's actually happening here in Paul's language is that he is, he is reaching a climax of exhortation. The exhortation of the application of what has been happening so far has been how to live out your faith in the light of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And it's like as if he is reaching that climax, climax of exhortation and saying that this is the one thing that I want to leave you with. This is the one thing, if I can summarise everything that I've said to date, I want you to remember this, that you are to please pray for me. And not pray for me specifically, but pray that God would open a door for the word. And this idea that, that he is the one there, he is the one remembering in prison for the sake of the gospel. And why is he in prison? He's in prison because he has been declaring the mystery of Christ. He has been telling an unbelieving world exactly who Christ is. He has been declaring the wonders of Christ and the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of the promises of God. And that is why he is in bonds. He's saying, do not forget to intercede for the word. Do not forget to intercede for those who minister for the word, that they would have the opportunity to declare the secret of Christ Indeed, to declare and preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, his person, his work, the gospel, indeed our hope. This should be the the main theme of our prayers, that we want to see the word of God and the gospel going out into the world, unimpeded. And that is what he is praying. He is praying really that the core here of of even the Lord's prayer, hallowed, Be your name. May the word of God, may the logos, some of your translations will use the word utterance. It doesn't really give the force of what Paul is saying here. The word is logos. He is wanting the logos to have a door. Indeed, the logos is is the door and the logos indeed is the one in Revelation that opens the door and none shall shut. And that is the force of his, his request for prayer in this way. You know, consider the, the way in which he is there. He, is, he has been carried all the way to Rome under guard on that terrible journey. 
And now we, we have this, this interesting situation for us because we can look back retrospectively and we know that there was four prison epistles written during this time when Paul was under house arrest. Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians and Philemon. Those four epistles all carry with them this similar language that he is there bound in chains but he is not asking for a door of escape that he might be released. He is asking simply for a door for the word to go out. It doesn't matter, he's saying, it doesn't matter that I'm bound as long as the word is getting out. As long as the word has a means of getting out. And indeed, because of his bonds there in that situation, remember he was, when you were under house arrest in Rome, you were, you were with a particular cohort of the Roman military called the Praetorian. Now, these Praetorian guards, they were Caesar's private military. Okay? And they, they were given all the plum jobs and all the plum, you know, they didn't have a lot of conflict with surrounding nations, but they were given things like prisoner escorts. You know, the rather straightforward tasks. And it was a pretty good gig. But these Praetorian guards, so they were, they were very senior in the public service of Rome at the time. And we know from both Philippians and Acts that because of Paul's presence in this Praetorian guardhouse while he was under house arrest, we know that indeed the gospel did find an open door. And we know that people from within the household of Caesar and of the guards were saved as a direct result of Paul's personal witness and testimony. And not only Paul, but those that were with him in bonds also. So it's a tremendous thing to think about that here, the apostle praying for an open door, indeed those prayers are answered and the gospel is able to preach and able to reach into all classes of the civilization of the day, even upper class Romans. A door for the word, a door for the Logos, that he might boldly declare Christ and know what to say. And he's declaring the mystery, he's making that mystery known. And that mystery is something that we have all become uh, so aware of and so familiar with haven't we we know what the mystery is the mystery is christ in you the mystery is the hope of glory the mystery is the revelation of jesus christ that god became man and dwelt among us a mystery that is shut off from the nations they don't understand it they're in darkness but praise god wonder of wonders we have been shown the mystery we have been the mystery has been declared to us And so Paul says, yes, please pray for me that I may make this mystery known to declare, to declare this, the force of this word here, to declare that mystery is to indeed, this is the only time this little phrase is used, that Paul might be able to declare it, to reveal it, that he might be given the words to speak. Indeed, we know that this was just such a burden of the apostle. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, he writes, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. 
This is how passionate Paul was about the message, about his saviour, the Lord Jesus. How passionate he was. And that is why, even in these closing verses of this letter, he, of all the things he could ask for, this is, this is the only thing he asked for. He just asked that a word, that the, that the door would be opened for the Logos. The door would be opened for the word. Of course, he was in... He was in bonds, both physically, wasn't he? But really, he was, he was in bonds, even as we sang. We were, we were in bonds. We were in bonds to Christ. We are but slaves of Christ, joyful slaves of Christ. We love to serve him. We love to bow in humility under his authority and under his rule and under his righteous reign. And this should be the single desire of all of us, particularly anybody who wants to preach or to lead or to minister the truth of this book publicly, this should be the main focus for everyone. In verse 5, he goes on. And this is really where that, that idea of conduct preceding conversation comes alive. Walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. You know, conduct should always, always precede that conversation. You know, we see it, don't we, in our own, uh, in our, in our own relationships, particularly in the, in the workplace or, or in the family. Maybe it's family members who we don't have a lot of contact with. But the idea here is that the summary of all that's gone before in chapter 3, that we are to walk in wisdom. That's the summary exhortation. We are to walk in wisdom. We are to move forward, walking with God, walking with our Saviour, doing so in wisdom. And why? Why? Of course, because if we do this, people will ask the question, why are you living the way you're living? What has marked you out as being different? We shouldn't be the same as the world around us. We shouldn't be doing the same things as those around us. Indeed, the the story of Luther's barber. And this was a man who was once a surgeon who then gave away the the career and took up the barber's chair. And and Luther would visit him very regularly. And over the years, he got to know the barber very well. And the barber and him often had these theological conversations. And until one day, the the barber simply asked Luther, teach me me to pray. How do I pray? How do I pray like you do? And indeed, that's what sparked that book that Luther wrote on prayer. That this daily routine relationship of a man just simply going to the barber, you know, that, that the quality of Luther's life, what the barber saw in the man, Not some great reformer, but just simply the man who lived the godly life there in that quiet village. So this is what he is asking us to do here. This is what he has just asked for prayer on how he should speak in terms of gospel evangelism, in terms of how the word of God should go out. And now he goes on to give them an exhortation about how they should answer. 
Okay, so they're the two, just the differing, differing lines of thought here. And this is about having a life marked out for inquiry. You know, when was the last time somebody asked you to give an account for the hope that was within you? And of course, maybe they didn't, they didn't use those words. But, but you know what they meant. You know, what, what in, the, in the workforce, often you get the, the question on a Monday morning, what did you do on your weekend? How was your weekend? It's probably the most common question you get asked at the start of a week. What do you say? Is that an opportunity to talk about your weekend? I know if I mention church, usually the uh, conversation comes to a swift end because people don't really want to know about it. They'd rather talk about the footy. But the point is, the opportunity was there. And you can talk about what you did. You can talk about your family life. You can talk about how you love Sundays because it's a time together to come with God's people to worship him. Now, the world knows nothing of this. But look out for those, those little opportunities that come up. And they probably come up in the most unexpected times. And so that's why it's so important for us to be ready, to be on guard, to have something to say, to give an account of the hope that is within us. You know, in paraphrasing that verse in 1 Peter 3.15, Philip says, You need neither fear their threats nor worry about them. Simply concentrate on being devoted to Christ in your hearts. Be ready at any time to give a quiet and reverent answer to any man who wants a reason for the hope that you have within you. And make sure that your conscience is perfectly clear so that if men should speak slanderously of you as rogues, they may come to feel ashamed of themselves for libeling your good Christian behavior. Now again here, the principle is clear. It is conduct before speech. This is always, always the principle. You know, we're not talking about uh, the rote, learnt one-liners and little repartees that we can, that we can just wheel out. You know, that, that's something that, indeed, you see it used a lot in the cults and the JWs and the Mormons. They go and learn all the things to say, and usually those things are, are to, to directly uh, attack the authority of Scripture. But that is not what we're talking about here. We're, we're talking about things... We're talking about a personal testimony about a person. That's what we're talking about. A personal testimony about a person. And I think eternity will really reveal the the true extent of just how powerful this is. Of the quiet Christian life that is lived wherever God has placed us and that quiet testimony that is used to create that inquiry, to create that interest to those around about. This is not mass-marketed gospel. This is the quiet, powerful growth of genuine saving faith. And that is what the Apostles' Prayer is for. We know the secret. We know the secret. We know him. We know our Lord Jesus Christ. We know what he's done for us. We know the the tremendous work that he has done. These things should be able to come off our lips like the breath we breathe. Because remember, we are in him now. We enjoy that fellowship in him. 
All of our life, all of our power, anything that we have is because of him. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. So don't take this burden upon yourself like it is something that you need to be constantly striving for to do, but rather remember that it is when those opportunities spring up, those opportunities that that pop up in the day-to-day, in the ordinary of life, and it is when those opportunities spring up that we might be just ready. And this this can be... So, e- so easy to sometimes miss. But if we daily just spend that time, daily in the Word, daily teaching our children, daily bringing to mind the Scriptures and daily meditating upon the things of God, it is when we do that that our mind will be, will be just permeated with God's Word and we'll be able to have those things to say. We will be able to indeed walk wisely before others and have that word ready to give an account. And but, but you know sometimes it is striking a bit of a balance. It's striking a balance between the, uh, the between tact and zeal. You know the uh, the new the newer believers, those that are uh, perhaps a little younger in the faith, you often see that they're they're very excited uh, to share their faith and they're particular at the universities or some or somewhere um, and they're perhaps often a little more urgent and a little less tactless, and that's, that's okay. But, and then the older Christians perhaps are not as bold because maybe over the years we've, we've had our experience of setbacks and, and, and embarrassments and people that have isolated us a little bit because of our faith, and so we, we retract. But the, the idea is to actually hold those two things in, in perfect tension. That, and that's what wisdom is, that we know how and when and what to say. And that we can do so in a way that honours God. And of course, he goes on to say that, and whenever this is done, whenever this is done, do it with grace. Do it with grace. Now, we can do that no matter what we say. We can speak with grace. And by doing this, this is what really awakens the hearer's appetite to Christ. And that's our, that's our job. That's our role. See, we're not the agents of the actual act of conversion. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God. So don't let's burden ourselves with striving and thinking that we, we have to be doing something in order to bring out that person's salvation. No, but we should be very, very conscious of the fact that we need to be the ones creating that interest, shining a light on the truth, bringing Christ into the life and the year of the hero. And don't think also that the term outsiders here, you know, it's very easy to think that, well, outsiders refers to anybody outside the four walls of the church. And that would be, uh, of, of course, a, a reasonable assumption. But consider for a moment those in your family that, that are closest to you. Just consider for a moment those that you come in the most contact with whoever that might be in your daily walk. Parents, your children. Or grandparents, your grandchildren. And before all others, the actions of your life, and hopefully your wise actions, will be seen by those that are closest to you. And they might not be in the faith yet. They might be looking on and trying to still work out, still be still working things out. 
But the point here is that God has a very, very uh, prescript way in which he wants himself to be known, particularly within the family unit. And in Deuteronomy 6.4, when Israel is given the Shema, it's interesting to note that God addresses the children in the Shema. And he says this, Deuteronomy 6, reading from verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on your doorposts, and on your house, and on your gates. You see, this witness needs to start in the home. It needs to start right there, wherever it is that the people around you are closest. And if there is even a sniff of hypocrisy or a sniff of falsehood in our actions, our children will see it before anyone else. They will see it from a mile away. And that is why it is so important that our conduct matches our speech. It matches what we say It matches what we sing. It matches what we pray. Because if it doesn't, it will be be called out especially, especially by our children. But what what about others that are living in close proximity to us? Indeed, the unbelieving spouse. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know if any here are in that situation where they have an unbelieving spouse that is not in the faith. I'm not going to pretend to know what the difficulties or the burdens or the challenges are in that situation. But there is a very, God's word is actually very direct on this subject. And he gives a tremendous encouragement in 1 Peter and chapter 3 about this very issue. 1 Peter chapter 3, and he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word... They may be one without a word. That's amazing. They may be one by the quiet, respectful and pure conduct of that wife. And she doesn't even need to say anything according to this. She doesn't even need to preach or to explain or or to ask them to keep coming to church all the time to the point where um, they become annoying No, no, it's actually just by her conduct. Husbands, you have, if you have an unbelieving wife, remember this, that Christ has loved his church. Christ has loved his church. And this picture of husband and wife, this selfless, unconditional, sacrificial love, that Christ has for his church is the standard that all husbands, all Christian husbands are to love their wives. And the principle remains true for husband or wife that if we are to conduct ourselves in such a way within the family unit, within the home, that that is the most powerful testimony that we can have to anyone. 
are those that God has put in the closest proximity to us. We must move on. Verse 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. And this consistency in godly behaviour will produce a corresponding pattern for our speech. It must. It has to. It's coming from the same fountain. It's water that is being drawn from the same well. You know, we see it, don't we, in the, in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, there at the very beginning of his ministry. And it says there in Luke chapter 4 that all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words. All spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? The, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, they just carried with them this divine fragrance of grace and wisdom in everything he spoke, every opportunity he had, that he spoke those words. And regardless of our circumstances or our trials or what we're going through at the time, indeed, this should be the pattern of all of our conversation. This should be the pattern of our speech. The corresponding verse in Ephesians in 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Not corrupting. No, no, it's in fact preserved. It's preserving. It's seasoned with salt. It's good to the taste. And as well as, being, as, well as those preservations, there's also good conversation. There's a word that's not used very often, piquancy. The, the, the statement of being, your interest being piqued. The piquancy of our conversations, are, it's important. Our conversations shouldn't be dull and bland. Our conversations should be full of that piquancy, that, that something that is pleasantly sharp and appetising in flavour, the actual definition. The piquancy of our conversation. But this is the salt. This is, this is the preserving action. And indeed, we know how it is that we are to respond to each person. 1 Peter 3.15. Previous, I've already quoted this from J.B. Phillips, but this is what he says. Be ready at any time to give a quiet and reverent answer to any man who wants a reason for the hope that is within you. You know, speech of the new man, it is so vitally important before God and before our fellow man. But that speech can only come after the conduct, after the life that is lived. Let our actions do the talking first. That's really what the Apostle here is saying. Let our actions do the talking first. And of course, it all springs up, doesn't it, from this new life we have. It all springs up from that fountainhead of God who has revealed to us the mystery of Christ and it says that we now have our life hidden in Christ. And that's our source, brothers and sisters. That is where we are established in him. He is the one in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the one in whom our hope is found. And this is the one. This is the mystery of Christ that Paul was praying might have an open door, might have a way forward 
and a way out to declare this mystery, to declare this Christ to the world. You know, that, that hymn, I love to tell the story, Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And this is really, should be our theme. It was certainly the Apostles' theme, wasn't it? He loved to tell the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. He loved to tell and declare the mystery of the Saviour, the mystery of the cross, the mystery of God manifest in the flesh. I'll just quote that, that hymn. As we close, may the mind of Christ my Saviour, just the first two verses, may the mind of Christ my Saviour live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. May the word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see I triumph only through his power. Let's give thanks and pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that gives us these instructions that go right into the everyday of life. And Father, we know that indeed our words can be used for blessing. And Lord, our words can also be used for sometimes terrible things. Lord, we pray that you would just place the love of our Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts, so that truly we might walk wisely before you and before others. Lord, that our speech might be just that which is, it, it is preserving, Lord, that our speech might be for the blessing of others, for the building up of others, for the praising of our God and his Christ. So Lord, be with us throughout this week, we humbly ask, we pray that you would take this passage of scripture and apply it to our lives. Lord, change us and Lord, help us to be able to speak words of grace and speak words of truth in and out of season. Whenever the situation calls, we pray that we would have a word from yourself. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless in the presence of his glory, to the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty both now and forevermore. Amen.